0: Pepperidge Farm, Milano.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, here to let you know that my podcast, Next Question with me, Katie Couric, is back for its second season. I'll be diving into some big issues, like this country's devastating maternal mortality rate, the rise of astrology, and a little thing called the presidential election. Listen to Next Question. It comes out every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there. Jane, I don't think that there's anything as big and posh and attention-catching in the annals of naval history as the Titanic.
2: That is true. I don't think many people would deny that.
1: Or I guess I should say marine history rather than naval history. So it was a seagoing vessel. Sure. And it was almost like a hotel on the water, and the idea behind it was precisely that uh, J. Bruce Ismay and Lord Peary of Harlan and Wolf Shipbuilders, they were at dinner one night, and they were talking about the Cunard Line's newest liners, the Mauritania and Lusitania, and they said to themselves, we can make one or three even with their plan. They were going to have a triumvirate of ships that were even bigger and better. The Olympic, the Gigantic. And the Titanic.
2: That's right. And they wanted to make these not only fast, like the Cunard line, but but luxurious and and attractive for for the you know the aristocratic uh, passengers to spend you know a pretty penny to go on. Exactly. The idea being that the more
1: comfortable and luxurious the ship, the longer distance people would be willing to travel. And so they weren't just selling you know a a couple dollars worth of tickets to people. We're talking about a first-class ticket that in today's dollars is equivalent to about $43,000 to about $80,000, which is wow. a ton of money. I mean, I don't even know people who spend that on airfare, you know, flying halfway across the world. That's a good point. Maybe yeah. you do. If you do, write me, because I want to travel <laughs> with you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so then, what made the Titanic so special? Well, it's interesting, because it was so incredibly lush, and, you know, the first-class passengers you know they were they were used to being treated nicely, but not as nicely as on this uh, as on this ship. I mean, they had such uh, they they had a squash court, I think, in, that you mentioned in the article. And uh, what there's, else did they
1: have? There's a gym. There were Turkish baths. Yeah, and, that's
2: true. And, and these things are amenities that people had to pay a
1: little bit extra for. But you bring up an important point about the first class and what they had access to. And I'm sure that all of you know this, but there were three distinct classes on board the Titanic: first, second and steerage. And so it's really important to sort of go ahead in your mind as you're picturing the Titanic and I think the nine different deck levels of it, Mm. that it was very stratified. There were places that first class were permitted to go. I mean, they could go anywhere they wanted, really, because they paid that much, but they weren't going to wander down to steerage cabins. (laughs) But then the third class was pretty much restricted to the bottom of the boat, second class sort of in the middle. And this was such... A gigantic ship that it required some really special engineering to make it go and I'm not going to lie to you I'm no engineer I'm not going to profess to know everything about horsepower etc cetera, etc cetera. but I do know that it had two giant engines that were about four stories tall and these two three blade propellers that were like 23 feet across and so that's big. And it enabled the ship to go about 24 knots. And that may sound slow to us today,
2: but back then it was really fast. That's true, and that put it in the running against the Cunyard Line, which is the ships that they wanted to compete against. And it was faster than them, but it sort of broke down in the process. But we'll get <laughs> to that in a minute. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned with the class distinctions, you know, that might strike our modern sensibilities as, as classism, which, I yeah, it is. But uh, it's interesting to notice that... Um, the third class were even treated maybe even better than other ships, um, of the time because they had their own enclosed rooms and that was kind of a luxury in itself. It was. A lot of them didn't even have that where they were coming from. And
1: yeah. the White Star Line, which was the manufacturer of these three ships, knew that many of the, the steerage members were European immigrants who were going to New York to start a new life. And, They really sort of approached this with a delicate sensibility, and they wanted to make this a very special and memorable passage for them. And to that end, the quarters they had aboard the Titanic were so much nicer than anything they would have seen in any other ship. For instance, there were real mattresses, whereas on other ships, steerage would have had straw-filled sacks to sleep on. Now, that's not to say that it compared with the private and semi-private baths of the upper-class decks, But I think that there was sort of a a continuous design and feeling that pervaded the entirety of the ship. But it wasn't just the third class. It had top of
2: the line. It was everyone. That's true. If you look at the China and, and everything, like they had this, the whole ship had this sort of airy design to it with palm trees. Everything was lush. And, you know, they wanted to promote this this luxurious atmosphere so much that if you look at, like, the decks, they didn't want to clutter them up too much with even safety equipment, for instance. Fatal mistake. Yes. So we have these
1: wide-open swaths of gleaming wood decks, and Thomas Andrews, who
2: was the ship's designer, he designed this ship to be unsinkable. And it's interesting, too. I mean, you look at the, both the engineers and, and the passengers aboard were pretty confident. Um, just the sheer size of t- the Titanic, it was so gigantic that they felt really comfortable there that, you know, it was a safe ride. Sort of like when you're in a Volvo station wagon. Yeah. nothing, <laughs> Nothing can harm you. It's just so large. <laughs> That's
1: true. And it wasn't just the size of the ship that made people think it was unsinkable. The ship's designer, Thomas Andrews, designed watertight doors to drop down between each of the 16 compartments and the bottom of the ship. The idea being that if something happened to the ship, up to three of those compartments could flood and the ship wouldn't sink. And even in a stretch... Four could take on some water, and the ship would still stay afloat. And
2: that would make me feel pretty secure. I mean, and we go back to the idea that they didn't have a lot of safety equipment on the decks. And that leads me to my question, actually, that I have for you, is that, is it true, a lot of people say that if they did have enough lifeboats, they would have been able to save a lot more people from the sinking? That, sadly, is fiction.
1: Really? Yeah, and it's funny because that's a point that people really harp on and attach to is that there were not enough lifeboats to save everyone on the Titanic. I think people really latch on to this idea because we would like to think that history could be changed if there were more precautions. But the fact of the matter is there were so many things that went wrong with the Titanic even before it picked up passengers that I think it was doomed to sink from the start.
2: That's right, even if you look as far back as the construction of it. I mean, people say that um, the constructors used substance Standard iron, even in in the materials to use, to bank to make the ship, and uh, and even the the um, technology, the Marconi wireless telegraphy, it, it was seen as maybe too cutting edge because a lot of people out there on the boats they didn't know how to use it necessarily or to to decipher it.
1: Right. So when the Titanic was sinking, and it sent out its distress calls. People couldn't interpret it. It was like speaking a, a totally different language. And there's some information out there about there not being enough rivets in the ship, or the rivets weren't tightened properly. And we know for a fact that it only underwent about six or seven hours worth of testing. And I think it turned once or twice, but it was never even sailed at its top speed. Mm -hmm. And what's more, a lot of the crew didn't get on board until an hour or so before the passengers did, and they weren't even told what their jobs were until after they got on the ship. So how can you be a proper lookout for a ship when you haven't
2: been trained in that post? That's sure It doesn't leave a lot of time for training. And also, if you look at the the design of the, the ship, even... Um I read that the rudder was actually kind of an old-fashioned design, and it was um, smaller than the, even the competition's rudders. And so this made it so the, the the ship itself was a little less maneuverable, and they couldn't shift out of an emergency situation as fast as they should have. So when you have something that large, it's like if
1: you're you're driving an RV and all of a sudden you're you're nearing a stop sign, you need to know ahead of time that you need to go ahead and start braking slowly. You can't just slam on the brakes and expect things to do okay. It's not like you know my itty bitty Honda Civic where I have enough time to do that. <laughs> (laughs) The Titanic was the same way. If they saw something in the water that they needed to avoid, um, an iceberg, they had to think (laughs) about it a couple miles ahead. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for turning. You still need, you know, a bigger radius to turn something that large. Yeah. And one of my favorite points about how ill-prepared the Titanic was for this voyage, and that's just smacks of conspiracy, is that J.P. Morgan was one of the big financial backers. And there's some recent evidence lately that he kept encouraging the shipbuilders to use cheaper and cheaper materials because he wanted as much bang for his buck as he could get. Scandalous. Scandalous. Well, here's where it gets even juicier. He was supposed to be on the maiden voyage, and then just a couple of hours beforehand, some uh, business came up, and he didn't ride. It's a little suspicious. I know. (laughs) I know. But all that aside, back to the lifeboats in question. So I'm going to give you guys some numbers just so you can help visualize it. And I want it to clarify, too, that there are so many numbers out there when it comes to the Titanic, because Parliament conducted an inquiry since it set sail from England. But the U.S. Senate also conducted an inquiry. And that may sound kind of funny, and it kind of is. One of the senators, Senator William Smith, knew the captain of the Titanic, John Smith. And he'd sailed with him before and thought he's such a good captain. How could this have happened? And so the Senate got involved, too. Again, yes. kind of marking conspiratorial. So
2: did the different investigations come up with different res- different results? No, just about okay. the same thing. But the okay. numbers are a little bit
1: different. Mm-hmm. So we know that there were enough lifeboats to hold 1,176 passengers. And that's only if they were filled to capacity. So on board, again, numbers from the U.S. Senate, we know there were 2,208 people and 899 crew members. So even if you're doing the math that fast, you know... <laughs> That's not enough. You can't get all those people into boats. And the reason why they had so few lifeboats on board, 16, Mm -hmm. is that the Board of Trade was the governing body that set the rules for ocean liners at this time. And the number of requisite lifeboats for ships up to 10,000 tons was sixteen. Well, the Titanic was 45,000 tons, but no one had bothered to sit down and do the math
2: and say, we need this many more lifeboats to accommodate that difference. So the Board of Trade's regulation sort of went up to, it was sort of an old-fashioned maximum. They weren't sort of expecting something as big as the Titanic needing a regulation.
1: Exactly. And you hit on the point earlier, Jane, when you were talking about not wanting to clutter up the decks, I think that Titanic's builders and designers conveniently misinterpreted the guidelines they could have filled in the number they needed but they didn't because they wanted their their decks to look shiny and open and clean but okay so you asked mm-hmm. could everyone have been saved if there had been enough lifeboats? yeah did it matter no not hmm. really because when i was talking about how inefficient the crew was and how ill prepared they were and how little testing the ship had undergone i think they only practiced lowering what, two to four lifeboats? Is that right? I think Yeah, I think I remember hearing that stat, yeah. So they didn't have an accurate time estimation for how long it would take to get that many people overboard.
2: Mm-hmm. And if you, uh, you look at the um, survivors' talk about it, you'll notice that not even all of the lifeboats, they weren't filled to capacity, some of them. And that's pretty scandalous. Um, there was one survivor who wrote um, that... Passengers saw that these lifeboats would have to take a 50-foot drop, and that kind of scared them. And they thought, well, I'm going to stick on the unsinkable Titanic. You guys can go ahead. And this one survivor claims that he asked to be on this, this unfilled un, uh, lifeboat, and they said, uh, women and children first. See you later. And they lowered the boat. And uh so this, it's a uh, kind of testament to they didn't really know what they were doing when they were no. lowering these boats. No one did. And there were two evacuations
1: on either side of the ship. And one of the people conducting the investigation on one side said, women and children first. Mm-hmm. The guy on the other side was letting anyone who could get in, get in. But when we say anyone, we mean first class and then second class. Third class wasn't even told that the ship was sinking until well after the fact. And well. It was such a quiet disaster. When the ship scraped the iceberg, it happened so quickly Mm -hmm. and so quietly that no one really realized any damage had been done until Thomas Andrews inspected and said, yeah, it's certain it's going to sink. And it's sort of scary to think about the panic that must have ensued down in the steerage decks because... Even if people saw water filling up their cabins, like we said, they weren't allowed just free room over the ship like the other class passengers were. Can you imagine them just getting lost in the bottom as, you know? Yeah, I imagine there'd be riots and, and, you know, fights all over the place. It was crazy. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was essentially a struggle to survive. Mm-hmm. And later on, when White Star Line sent out rescue craft to search for the bodies or any survivors, they got really confused because they saw so many corpses wearing garments of first-class passengers, but essentially crew and, and steerage had raided the cabins and put on
2: whatever they could to stay warm. It's terrible. It sounds like uh, they went through a lot of havoc and and panic
1: those last few moments. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine how scary it was. And the recovery efforts were disastrous, too. I mean, when the news broke that the Titanic had sunk, the world was stunned. I mean, this was the unsinkable ship. And I think it took nearly a week to even compile
2: a list of all the survivors and all the deceased. Sure, and it it sort of captures the imagination even to today. I mean, people are obsessed with knowing what actually happened. You know, um, people, they have deferring historical accounts, who's to blame, and and it's it's a pretty intense debate all around the board, and people are obsessed with the story of the the Titanic.
1: Yeah, and that's because there were so many passengers on board, and everyone had a different story, and everyone had a different eyewitness account. There were people who said that the ship broke in half before Mm -hmm. it sank. Mm -hmm. There were people who didn't report that, and later on, I think people called it a litigation nightmare because like we said parliament and the senate conducted investigations but any lawsuits that were brought on the white star line were brought on by families of the individual passengers for either people lost or property lost and how i mean how
2: could you even prove anything with all the different testimonies that's right and one uh one scandal that people disagree on uh is about the chairman and managing director of the 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 star the white star is that it The White Star Line. Yeah, yeah. the White Star Line. His name was Bruce Ismay, as you said, and he actually jumped on one of these not-quite-filled lifeboats. And, um, people say, oh, what a coward. Like, he took someone else's space when really, like, it, it would not have been taken by, by another person. At least some organizations like the Titanic Historical Society tried to defend him and say, like, he had a wife and kids and no one else was around and he just took his opportunity to save his life. And otherwise he just would have been, you know, sunk with the ship. And th- it was sad because after he, he survived and after he got to America, he was sort of ridiculed by, Uh, like William Randolph Hearst and his newspapers and and England sort of, uh, they accepted him, but America, he got maligned. I'm sure he did. And if you look at the other two, arguably other important
1: figures on board, someone like Thomas Andrews, the ship's designer, and then Mm -hmm. the captain of the ship, Captain Smith, they both sort of quietly waited on board and went down with the ship, and Thomas Andrews in particular. I mean, even if you think about James Cameron's Titanic, that really poignant scene where he says, I wish I could have built you e a better ship, Miss Rose. That really is sort of how it happened. Not with mm-hmm. Rose necessarily, but he didn't put on a life vest, and he sat in one of the first-class lounges and mm-hmm. just quietly waited. And it's just so eerie even today if you go and you look at pictures of artifacts that have been um like photographed underneath the surface of the water sure, yeah. or artifacts that have been brought up like one of the most haunting things i saw that um there's a traveling titanic exhibit called titanic aquatic and you can see all these things that rms titanic has recovered that and, particular society and they have sole ownership over the shipwreck and one of them it's just um It was a china hutch that went down and it was made of wood Mm -hmm. and it had these porcelain au gratin dishes in it. And over time, the wood from the china cabinet disintegrated, but the au dishes were left perfectly stacked in neat little rows, and that's how they are right now in the display. They're stacked in neat little rows, and it's so creepy.
2: That is fascinating, because, like, the rest of, of the Titanic, you just see, like, even the exterior of the ship underwater. It's, it's really creepy to see because of what, what the pressure and the water has done to it, um, but to see something that has survived that is, is that's really weird. It is, yeah. and I know what you're talking about. Like, if you see pictures of it, and you see this mm-hmm. sort of, like,
1: weird seaweed things sort of waving in the water off the ship's rails. Um, Archaeologists have a word for them. They're called rusticles because essentially all these little tiny microbes underwater are just feasting on the ship. And they suspect that in another, I think, like 50 to 90 years time, the ship's just going to collapse and implode in on itself and it's going to be over. So there's a lot of argument right now about whether or not we should
2: actually raise what's left of the hull. That's, that's really interesting because, I mean, as someone who's fascinated with the story, I of course like, I want to be in support of like, bring it up because I don't want to see such an interesting artifact of history destroyed just by, you know, nature.
1: And I think I'm going to take issue and be on the other side. Really? And not even just to play devil's advocate. I Mm -hmm. I really feel that that's where it belongs because even in the recovery efforts of, of those bodies, not all of them were brought up. And a lot of the steerage and crew members that were recovered, their bodies were actually tied to iron rods and thrown beneath the water. So they were in essence, buried at sea. And so mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that's where the ship belongs, too. It's to a good argument. It's homage
2: to them. Yeah, so, that's true.
1: There's so much history about the Titanic, and there's so much that we haven't covered. And you can learn even more when you read How Titanic Worked on HowStuffWorks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Do you like boats? Do you like big boats? Do you like poor people and the rich people they serve on big boats? Are you always like, what goes on below deck?